Thank you for tuning in. My prayer is that this message is going to be an encouragement to you personally and will cause great growth in your life. It's time to live and it's time to take this next step forward. God bless you as you listen. The canvas of God's love is broad. But as Christians exercise the love of God in the world, one common thread holds it all together. The Christian story speaks of a mystery that lies deep in the soul of every human being. In the beginning, God in all his power and creativity reached down to craft a world that reflects his glory. By his word, he spoke the planets into existence. But with his hands and his breath, he sculpted men and women unlike anything else. The scriptures tell us that human beings were God's masterwork. And he wrote his signature, set his imprint on the human soul. Humans are created in the Imago Dei, the image of God. We have the ability to create, worship, communicate, reason, and relate. We are capable of love and responsible for our actions. The Christian story also tells us that humankind, created for intimacy with God, rejected God instead. Created to reflect Him, we sought to replace Him. This sin brought death and destruction into the world. But the fall is not the end of the story. For God sent a Redeemer, the perfect image of the invisible God, took the fractured pieces of our humanity and bound them up, restoring the broken image of God and renewing our lost fellowship with Him. This, the image of God, changes everything. It shapes how we see the world and one another and calls us to honor the image of God in everyone. Christians work to alleviate poverty, disease, and starvation because even the poorest of the poor are created by God in the image of God. Christians work to rescue and rehabilitate abducted and trafficked girls and boys because there is no such thing as a disposable human being created by God and in God's image. Christians fight abortion because children created by God in the image of God should not be terminated and discarded, and because mothers created by God and in God's image deserve our care. Christians uphold the dignity of the elderly and disabled because all who are created by God in His image are fearfully and wonderfully made and dear to Him. Christians work on behalf of all immigrants because they too are created by God in the image of God and should be welcomed as we would welcome Christ. Christians work for religious liberty because the freedom to follow one's conscience is part of what it means to be created by God in the image of God. Christians work for the flourishing of marriage because it's an instrument of blessing for women and men created by God in the image of God and the essential building block of a flourishing society. Christians work for racial unity and reconciliation because all people created by God in the image of God share something much deeper than skin color. In short, there has never been a human being who was not created by God in God's image. And that's what animates everything we do, the common thread that holds it all together. 
God's image compels God's children to love all people. The world is broken. We yearn for the day when Christ will make all things new. But for today, we do what we do. We strive for justice and dignity, liberty and flourishing. Because every person who bears the stamp of God matters to God and matters to us. image of God is that Latin term, imago Dei. I'm talking about that today in my message titled, Being Enough. I love it if you would uh, get your Bibles, Bible apps open to Matthew chapter 22, verse 36. Matthew 22, 36, hold your place there. We're going to take a look at that in a second. Imago Dei, the image of God. I mean, every single one of us who exists, we have Imago Dei, the image of God. Every person has this intrinsic divine value. Do you realize that? I mean, every person, even though we're different, we have Imago Dei, which means that you are enough. God made you in his image. <laughs> Imago Dei, the image of God, it literally means that you're a, you're a copy. It means that you are this graphic image of the creator himself. You are a formal, visible, understandable representation of who God is and what God is really like. It's you. God, God knit you together in your mother's womb. He looked at you, <laughs> his creation, and he said, you are wonderful, you are enough. That's what Imago Dei means. That's who we are. We are the image of God. And based upon this, I challenge you to stop striving for approval. It's time to... Stop measuring your success based upon what you're seeing on social media. Understanding this, that you are enough. You are Imago Dei. You are the image of God. Now, we can say that, but we really have trouble believing it. And I can tell we have trouble believing it because we can say it and we can think it, but we don't do it. You know, uh, I mean, here's what we say in our mind. We put all these ifs in there of, of I will be enough if, and, and, and which means that we're actually kind of forgetting this whole thing that we are Imago Dei. We're made in the image of God. We are enough because we say things like this. We say, I'll be enough if I lose 20 pounds, okay? I'll be enough if I get pregnant. I'll be enough if I can stay sober. I'll be enough if people think I'm a good parent, I'll be enough if I can make a living based upon what I'm selling right now. I'll be enough if I get this ministry role or this, this, this job position. I'll be enough if I then get married. I'll be enough if I can hold my marriage together. I'll be enough if my dad finally approves of me. I'll be enough if I can get these kids out of my hair so I can really get back to doing what I want to do. I'll be enough if she messages me back. <laughs> I'll be enough if I can stroll through life making it look like it's a piece of cake, like I'm not even trying. Why do we 
do that. <laughs> and then as soon as we meet the little conditions that we throw out there being enough, as soon as we meet those conditions, you still don't feel like you're enough because it never works that way. I mean, that, that, that's why you need to engage this truth. You are the image of God. You are Imago Dei right now. The moment you were conceived in your mother's womb, that's when that happened. You are enough now because you're loved by your creator. You are enough. Imago Dei is what I am. Tim, Tim is the image of God. When God made Tim, (laughs) he was satisfied. But you are also the image of God. You are Imago Dei. But it's not just you, it's, it's, it's like all of us, it's everyone. We are the image of God. We are enough. But you know what? That doesn't mean that we know God. Really. See, there, there's this, that's the flip side of this. There's this common misconception that if we're made in the image of God, we're, we're then his children and then we know God. But I'm telling you guys, it's not automatic. Knowing God is an individual decision and the thing is, you can know about God, but never really know God. For me, for like, like for me, you can know I, I'm a pastor, or maybe you're a pastor, and you might know, say, yeah, I know Tim. Well, you might know about me, but do you really know me? I mean, not necessarily. Now, I can say that, that Preston and Devin and Ian, they know me. <laughs> uh, Rebecca, she knows me, most certainly. So that how can we know God. I mean, if we're made in the image of God, Imago Dei, if we're enough, then wouldn't you like to actually know the God that made you enough? I do. I really want to know him. One of Jesus' closest disciples, he was uh, the disciple John. He wrote the book of Revelation and a powerful, powerful writer in the New Testament, great friend of Jesus. Um, He wrote these words it's powerful. It's found in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. He said, dear friends, listen carefully to this. He says, let us love one another. Because love, okay, comes from God. He said, let's love each other because love comes from God. Now look at this. Everyone who loves has been born of God and, what, here it is, and knows God. But look at this next part. He flips it there so we can see the other side of it. He says, whoever does not love, they don't know God because God is love. I mean, that's who he is. Okay, were you guys aware that scripture was in the Bible? I mean, if you love, then you know God. If you don't love, you don't know God. You don't know God. Even though you say you might, you might know about him. And really, it's that simple. But, but uh the depth of it means we, I mean, you look at that, I think that's something we need to investigate. That's something we need to explore a little bit. Because it's actually possible to be made in the image of God, being enough, yet not know God. Here's another truth that, that, that goes right along with this. We are the image of God, Imago Dei. We are enough. But that doesn't mean that we're not broken or distorted. Um, being enough doesn't mean that There's not a spiritual brokenness or a stain or a fracture in your life. Um, What it does mean is that sin cannot destroy the image of God in you. Hear that? 
what it will only do is mar and disfigure it, but Satan will try to get you to look at that and say, it's destroyed, I'm ruined, it's over with. That's a common, common temptation. Okay, Jesus made it clear in John 10.10. 10. He said the thief comes only to do three things. What is it? Steal, kill, destroy. Hang around here for a while. You'll get this memorized right here. And Jesus said, but I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Now see this. What he's saying is that Satan and hell, they have this agenda against your soul. And, and it is to mar and disfigure you spiritually to try to mar the, the, the image of God. But even though you may be broken or distorted, you are redeemable and you are worth redeeming. That's why God sent his son into the world because, I mean, you are the image of God. God's not gonna give up on you. You are that. You're enough. And, and it's actually impossible for God to not love us. Impossible. Just like it's impossible that God can't love his own son. It's impossible that God can't love us. It's because we were created by God in the image of God. Okay, now, I hope you're getting this because this is life-changing right here. So as a result, everyone, every person matters to God. It says every very person matters to God. I don't know why there's a very there, but <laughs> every person matters to God. That's, that would have been my mistake. No, not anyone else's. Not, there, there's not one person who is less than enough. Not one person. And this is how we have to see others. This is how we see ourselves. You are different from the rest of God's creation. You are. Huh. Um, you, I was taught something in elementary school that we are human animals. And there was this little video, there's this little movie we used to watch, uh, and it was made by Disney, and Jiminy Cricket would pop up in our, in our elementary school classrooms, and he'd go, you are the human animal. You know, do you remember that song? I do, because we listen to it all the time. And, and, I, and I learned later on, I was like, wait, I'm not a human animal, I'm a human. I'm made in the image of God. You're not an animal. You are Imago Dei. <laughs> so you're enough. You are enough. But I, I, here's what I challenge you to do is to begin to honor the Imago Dei in other people. Begin to honor the Imago Dei in yourself. Begin to honor the God who put Imago Dei on you. You are enough. So that actually makes it very easy to begin to love. See, but, but I want to say something. Love here is a really, really broad term, and we need to dump, jump into this because we need some other terminology for it. I, I wish we did in our English language because there are various types of love. The, the, in our English language, um, there's only one word, love, but there are actually about six very different words that are used in the Bible and in ancient culture to describe this one word that we use, love. And, and I stumbled onto this when I was a kid. I, I was about seven years old. I was at school, and, and I was in front of the, the class talking about my dog. And I said, I love my dog. I did. My dog's name was Prince, and I would sing to Prince. I would say, Princey Poo, I love you. I mean, I love Prince. Then some smart aleck kid from the back of the class said, well, if you love your dog, why don't you what? Mary, yeah, see, you, I hope you were not one of those kids that said that. And everybody laughed, and I go, <laughs> I was so embarrassed. <laughs> like, I am not marrying Princey Poo, all right, that's all. And we, you know, we, we use that word uh, all the time in different ways. Like, I love coffee, I love my wife, I love Disney World, I love God. <laughs> you love your cat, you love your car, you love the sunshine, oh yes. We use the terminology making love to describe sex. Uh, we love cheesecake, we love kale, we love sushi. Okay, do you get the dilemma? I mean, saying 
I love, in the same context of sex and kale and sushi in your car, it doesn't work. But when it comes to the love of God and how God expects us to love other people like what we just read a second ago, there's a very accurate term in the New Testament, and it's a Greek term, and it's called agape. A-G-A-P-E, not agape, okay? Agape is actually a central word of Christianity. Um, It is the actions of God toward people, humans, us, and how we treat others. Here's here's basically how it's defined, agape. Look, and you'll see how it's very different than other versions of love that's out there. Because a lot of love, it's it's like emotional or a feeling or a thought. But, But look at this. Agape is a love of choice, I choose to love. It's not about my emotion. It's undefeatable benevolence. It's unconquerable goodwill. It's always seeking the highest good of the other person. It's self-giving attitudes and actions. Now, I'll tell you what. It's like within a, within a personal relationship, you find that girlfriend or that boyfriend that you like, you know, you're, you start off with a kind of an attraction, attraction to them, but if you don't build your marriage on agape, it's not going to work, Okay. That's why this is critical for us. We gotta live this out and understand it. Okay, now I want you to go ahead and look in your Bibles in Matthew chapter 22, verse 36, because you're gonna see how this is a central feature of our faith, of Christianity itself, because agape says God loves us because we're a mago Dei. We're the image of God, and so we love God, and our love is actually made valid by the way we love other people, but we can't love other people until we learn to love. You see it? <laughs> how it all kind of works like that? All right, let's take a look at it. There was this guy who came to Jesus, Matthew twenty-two thirty-six. 36. He says, teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love, and there's that term agape, love the Lord your God. I just love him with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. But see, the guy asked for just one. But, but Jesus had to give two because you, know, you can't just do one. can't stand on its own. It doesn't work that way. There, there's, there's this companion to it. He said the second is just like it. Love, agape, your neighbor as yourself. Love that person the way you love yourself. Love God, because God loves you. Okay, and then he says something quite profound. Not going to get into it today, but he says all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands, which means everything about our faith is based on this right here, right here. This is huge, guys. In other words, Everything in the Bible is about loving God and other people as we love ourselves. So this whole thing of Imago Dei, it, 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 it conveys the agape, the love of God toward us. Therefore, it's not about trying to measure up to God. Now, when I don't measure up in my own mind, uh, you know, day in and day out, what happens is the ugly self-talk, and you know how that works, and it's ugly, it's hateful, and it's destructive. You wouldn't talk to people the way you talk to yourself, but, okay, but how you love yourself is inevitably the way you're going to start loving other people, and then when other people don't mess up, I mean, when, when they don't measure up, then you're going to find yourself feeling and often saying things that are ugly, hateful, and destructive. Do you catch that? <laughs> Why do we do that to other people? I mean, aren't they the image of God also? Well, it's because we really don't believe that we're enough. We don't see that. 
So we need to correct that. Now, I don't want you to overcorrect it either because there, there is this really nice place right here in the middle we've got to abide. Now, there's an overcorrection, which, which uh, some people are walking in right now. Uh, Paul talks about this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. He said, there's going to be terrible, terrible times in the last days. He says, people will be lovers of themselves. Now, you see that terminology, lovers of themselves. Now, again, we're in the Bible. We only have, we have one English word for love, so it's translated love, but it doesn't mean anything about, this has nothing to do with the love that I just talked about. This type of love is a completely different Greek term, and it refers to people who are self-centered, selfish. They're, they're, all they think about is their own interests. Basically, they have fallen in love with themselves, and I'm telling you guys, that is an extreme, and I've got to address it, because I don't want you to be there. He, being in love with yourself, it, he, he talks about it in 2 Timothy, he talks about this cascading effect of what it will do in your life, and it will, it will, it will destroy every part of you. Look at this. It says, people who love themselves, they are lovers of money, they're boastful, they're pride, they have abusiveness, they're disobedience to their parents, they act out in ungratefulness, unholiness, no love for others, unforgiveness, slanderousness, no self-control, brutality, not lovers of good, treacherous, rashness, conceitedness, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Whoa! <laughs> I don't want to be that, right? So today when I'm talking about this thing of you being in the image of God, you need to love yourself. I'm not talking about falling in love with yourself. That is something totally different, okay? Because it is totally destructive, See, being in love with yourselves make you, makes you think that you're perfect. And when you begin to, to portray that perfection and you convey that, it will begin to be conveyed to other people. It doesn't draw people to you. It pushes people away and does all that kind of stuff. It isolates you more. It isolates you from the God that intends for you to thrive. So being imperfect, it's not a bad thing. It's not. It's actually a wonderful thing. Think about this. Without imperfection, you wouldn't have a need for God. Without imperfection, you would not have a need for anyone else. And you're imperfect, and I am as well. Yet at the same time, we are still Imago Dei, the image of God. And we are enough. So, Stop comparing. I, I challenge you today to begin to let go of what other people think about you. You are, in my go day, the image of God. Quit comparing yourselves to other people. I can fall into this trap very easily. We all can when we forget that we're a, we're a Mago day. I, I, for me, I, it could be comparing myself to other pastors or I compare our church to other churches. Compare myself to other dads compare myself to other husbands. I might even be walking over to the tower to have some salsa limon for lunch and walking from the offices over there. As I'm walking by people, I'm comparing, comparing myself to them, thinking, am I above, below, on the same level? You know, how do I compare? You, you, know, you know what I'm talking about. We compare. Why? It's because we want to feel good about ourselves and we want to be on top. When we compare, we have totally missed the fact that we are Mago Day. And we begin looking at other people's external attributes, and trust me, it's external. 
We look at those external attributes and we observe how we stand in comparison to them. See, comparison, it actually denies the image of God. And you're never gonna measure up. When you're denied the image of God, you can't be enough. Because there's always gonna be someone out there who's going to outdress you, someone who's gonna outsmart you, outtalk you, outperform you, and most certainly outclass you. <laughs> so God forgive us of comparison. <laughs> I got to thinking about this, you know. Does God ever like compare himself to Satan? Well, I wonder if like, I look better than him. Like, no! I mean, come on, think about it. That's, that's hilarious. We know that he, he doesn't have time for that. And we're in God's image, so why are we doing it? Huh. We're enough! Yeah. So another challenge is to stop seeking approval. Yeah, we all do that from time to time also. Because Satan gets us to look at any mar in our lives and, oh, this ugly, oh, I'm not good enough. I, we forget that we're Imago Dei, the image of God. And when, when I was 33, I was, I was uh, serving as a lead pastor of a large church for the first time. And, and I had just taken this church and I had some critics who were comparing, my, comparing me to the previous pastor. And they would tell me things that I needed to do and how I needed to preach differently so that I could actually preach more like what they were accustomed to. And I just, uh, I was preaching my third service the one Sunday morning, and I spotted this guy halfway through my final service, and he was one of the critics. And he stood out from the group because he was doing, everything, doing something different than everyone else. He was sitting back in his chair, he had his arms folded, and he had this frown that was just like, whoa, you know, just huge. And his, he, he, he wasn't taking notes, he wasn't using his Bible, he was just glaring at me, scowling at me. And, and I saw him and I, I, I could feel myself begin to perspire, my heart begin to race. I knew I had blown it and I was gonna hear it tomorrow. I really did. That's where my mind went. And the thing is, I didn't know what I had done that had made him disapprove. I didn't know. I was just preaching the word. And I got, I, I got so nervous that, that I totally bombed that sermon, and I just kind of wrapped it up and left, and like, I just want to go home. Why? Why did that happen? I figured it out later on is because I was preaching for his approval, not for the approval of God. Wow, how many times have we done that? I'll tell you guys, even last Sunday, let me just be real with you. I, I shared my story of my upper teen years and I, it's, it's, it's actually a very deep part of my personal story and that was the first time I had ever shared that part of my story publicly and, and immediately after our final service, uh, there was part of me that just wanted to run and hide and I couldn't figure it out. And for some reason, I began to feel ashamed that I told you that story. Can I be real with you? Um, and I kind of examined my heart. And I was like, well, I began to feel ashamed for the attitudes and the, the failures that I had as a, as a teenager. And if you're not, you weren't here last Sunday, you need to listen to it. You get to hear it. But I began 
kind of reliving that. And then, uh, then another thought hit my mind is like, well, what if my parents figure out how to use the internet and, and they, they listen to my, my podcast and then they feel bad. And uh, yeah, yeah, I, 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 I just thought I've made a horrible blunder by sharing my story. And then the things I just preached about, I started doing. It's like, you're such a loser, Tim. Why'd you do that? I wanted to crawl in bed and go away. I'm just being honest with you, okay? Snapshot seven days ago. Now, I still knew it was right to share that portion of my story. So when Monday morning rolled around and I began looking over my notes for today's message and kind of pulling some more details together, I, I realized that I felt that way last Sunday because I feared that someone wouldn't approve of me sharing that story. I wouldn't approve of me. And I just had to take some time. I just got out of the office. I got, went for a drive and had a nice little talk with Jesus. And I broke out of that mindset, thank God. And I just said, I'm enough. I'm going to move forward. You know, if we don't feel worthy of someone else's agape, someone else's love, and that includes God's love, what happens is we begin to unravel. We self-destruct. Many times we just drop out. Uh, sometimes I'll, I'll notice people will drop out of a relationship with me. They back way away and they kind of run away. I'm like, where? What's going on? Well, they feel that they let me down and they feel like I'm going to be harsh with them and so they run and hide and sometimes I never see them again. Or, or the, the, there's the flip side of, well, then you begin to perform and, and perfect everything and work to please and try to prove. And, and eat. both of those are hopeless. See, quite often we only feel, and this is good, we only feel, if I do say so myself, this is good. <laughs> we only feel like we're worthy of love when we're perfect. And you know that. But perfection never happens. We see this at work, even with our desire to fit in sometimes. And I mean, oh, why, why are we just so insistent on fitting in? Hey, fitting in is not love. Fitting in is assessing a situation, and then we change ourselves, and we do what we feel we will, what, will, what we need to do so that we can be accepted. That's, it really goes back to something that I shared Sunday. Right? It's a cultural street. I mean, uh, yesterday, cultural streets. This cultural streets axiom, you know, of, of fitting in. Like fitting in does not convey God to the culture at all because God has not called us as believers to fit in, but he's caused us to rise to the top because there's a spirit of excellence, which is the spirit of God, which is upon us and in us, you know? And I just think it's time that we need to embrace what God has already said about us. And you can only allow yourself to really feel loved when you allow yourself to be fully known. Um, that's why we're Christians and we let God love us. And we even lead God into the darkest places, the most marred and fractured places of our own lives, knowing this is that what he sees will not cause him to reject us, but he will help us. That is brilliant. We're supposed to do the same with others. Now, it might be a little bit scarier with other people, but you've got to let someone in. Someone who's going to be able to see the good and the bad and the ugly. 
And, and that's what you need to do to other people around you, starting with those who are closest to you. Why? It's because God separates our actions from our identity. God loves us unconditionally because we are imago Dei. And when we understand and accept that, God begins to help our <laughs> help us with our ugly actions and our sinful activity. The stuff that we despise about ourselves, God helps us with that. And that's what we're even supposed to do with others. Help others with that. And don't push them away. That's called love. That's where we separate the actions from who a person is. We love people in spite of what they do. Who you are is not what you do. Get that. Who you are is not even a sinful state that you may be in right now. Who you are is not the failure of your company. Who you are is not the failure of your marriage. Who you are is not the fractured family that you have and the flaws that are there in your family. If you, um, you want to be a person who shows love, then you need to begin to practice love, agape first, by showing some love and compassion to yourself. Because you will always love other people the way you love yourself. And demonstrating love and compassion to other people who are around you will begin to flow more naturally. And you need to take a step to begin doing that as well. And that will actually help you to love yourself more too. (laughs) You know, we feel connected uh, in our lives when we actually reach out and connect ourselves. You are the image of God. You are Imago Dei. You are enough. So my challenge today is to let God forgive you, heal you, and restore you. Catch the image of the gospel. He created us, Imago Dei, in his image. You are the image of God. But we get flawed and marred by sin. That's why God gave his son Jesus to forgive our sins, and he washes us and cleanses us and erases that. And not only does that, God puts his spirit in us. God takes up residence here. God lives in you. And then it moves to a whole new level. Not only does God live in you, but then (laughs) we get to live in Christ. So when the devil looks at us, he actually sees Jesus, and that's the way I choose to walk. And then when we're living in Christ, God's spirit is in us, and we see ourselves as a Mago Day. I mean, there are a lot of things in our life we're just going to say, I don't even want to do that. I don't want to be that way. I don't have a desire for that. And that's what I want for you. Love God. You've got to love yourself so you can love others. And it keeps working, working, and working, and working, and working. Watch what that will do in your lives. God, I just pray over every person in this room right now that the reality of who you are, your love for us, the image of God stamped on us, <laughs> it would be so real to us. Help us to receive that love. Help us to be able to love ourselves in spite of our imperfections. And help us also, God, to release that love right back out to other people the way we love ourselves. God, we want to be different. We don't want to be critical and negative and hateful and 
pulling ourselves back and hiding or trying to be perfect and cussing ourselves out under our own breath. God, we don't want to do that. Deliver us from that in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. In the quietness of this moment, I just want you to focus your eyes internally. Maybe you're here today and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if that's you, maybe you've even drifted from God and God's Spirit's not residing in you. I want you to know this, that the Jesus that we talk about around here, he is real. And if you want a new beginning, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond just by simply lifting your hand. And that's just by saying, Pastor, I want Jesus. Knowing this, that God loves you more than you can imagine and he died for you so that you can have life and life to the full. And today, it's time for you to live. So if you want to be included in my closing prayer, surrender your life to Jesus. I'm going to ask you at the count of three to lift your hand. When I count to three, I'm going to be able to see it and connect my faith with yours. Can I see that? One, two, three. That's me, Pastor. Lift your hand. Lift your hand. That's me, Pastor. I want to make that decision to receive the Spirit of God into my life today. Thank you so much. Here's what I'm going to do. I want us to stand now. Come on, let's stand. Stand with me and with all the, the, those around me. And if you, if you want to receive Christ, pray this prayer with me. Come on. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins. I believe you're the Son of God. Forgive my sins. Today it's time for me to live, to drop the comparisons, to accept the identity of Almighty God on my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Have you discovered your street of influence? Whether it be family, government, business, arts and entertainment, faith, health and vitality, or education, head over to culturalstreets.com and discover your street today.